And race does come into play. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Hey, Ew. what's goody? <laughs> this your girl, Kendall Jenner. And I'm here to tell you that Syria, we didn't start this. You're looking for Donald Trump. He lives on 1600 Washington Avenue. I'm not sure if that's the right address, but that's where he is. And he is an orange man and he did this. As far as Pepsi and racism, I want you guys to know I was trying to cure you. I was trying to save you. Y'all ain't want to listen. So you know what? You can keep your racism. Let's go, Pepsi. Let's hit this. Okay. Thank you, Kendall Jenner. Um, I You're guess. Welcome. You're welcome, beloved. <laughs> All right, guys. So welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, where apparently we have Kendall Jenner as a featured guest. I guess that's who you're embodying today, Stanley? Yes, I am Kendall Jenner today. Oh, okay. Well, we appreciate you're, that. You're Kendall Jenner today? That's right. I have. When no- did you transition? How come I, you didn't tell us? I am a white woman, Alyssa. You will not talk to me <laughs> anyway you want. All right? <laughs> he is. That's right. Let me tell I, you something, okay? I have a lot of skills, starting with no no skills. You drink whiskey? That's a I skill. I drink Pepsi, all right? Pepsi is delicious, and it saves the blacks, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and Apparently. that is what I'm trying to do for you, but you won't let me, okay? <laughs> Welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we have Kendall Jenner, and we address racism by not talking about it at all, and then being <laughs> forgiven for being who we are, nobody. Right. Well, okay. For that, okay. So this is what the show is really about. This is let your voice be heard right here on WHCR ninety point three FM, where we talk politics, social justice, and foreign policy from a millennial and diverse perspective. Because apparently, we have Jackie Cohen here, Alyssa. Fuse, apparently, myself she, and Kendall Jenner. That's, that's this a show, ghost this show is like a Pepsi commercial, like a whole bunch of non-threatening-looking diverse people. Diverse people. Well, you, do, you do look threatening. That I'm black and I have. And we're curing racism, didn't you know? Yeah, yes, and your shirt right. literally has a curse word on it. No, it doesn't. It has <laughs> oh. an expression on there. Yeah, it does not have any curses Sorry. on there. <laughs> well, even if it did, we probably wouldn't get in trouble. So I'll just yeah, we keep wouldn't. it moving. There's nothing wrong with that. We're not saying it on the air. Yeah, as long as we don't repeat that. Um, and I'm just making a mental note for myself. Okay, guys. So we have a great show lined up. Let's start off by introducing ourselves. My name is Selena Hill. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter and Instagram, it's Miss Selena Hill. Get them. And people actually do reference me as that. They say, hey, Miss Selena Hill or Miss Hill. So call me that if you want. Get them. If em. you're nasty. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, who else is here? Oh, that's all you're going to say? Yeah, oh, I think yo, that's it. Was, I didn't was, have anything else. Your intro was so corny. Now that I'm not weak. dying from the flu, let me show you how it's done. Okay. <laughs> Once upon a time, there was a handsome man named Stanley Fritz. He was a one-man band man, and he had a dark season with a low-cut beard. He was wearing a shirt that said, don't let your president get you bleeped up because you know why the president can get you bleeped up if you act up just ask syria no i'm serious he really did that and if you want to talk to me you can do so on the twitter at stan fritz or on the instagram at stan fritz or on the snapchat at dark skin swindle because i could not get stan fritz changed <laughs> at the last minute if you go on facebook you can see me starting some kind of war with someone this week i've been focusing on going after bernie sanders voters who think that he is a savior of all people even though he has very problematic issues and stances on a race and women's reproductive rights but don't get me started because they might start calling in here saying that he would have won if he was in the general election 
Oh, thank you for that, Stanley. Might have. I don't know. Yeah, right. May have, may not have. I hate the ultimatums. Like, he definitely would have, or he definitely wouldn't have. It's like, no, none of us know, and it doesn't <clears throat> do us any good to pay the speculation game. He Anyways, couldn't be the white woman that no one liked. That's it. <laughs> uh, my name's Alyssa Fuchs, and I am your political and legal correspondent, and you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs with an I, or on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs also with an I, or you can leave a question or a comment for us on our political preposterous fan page and I am attempting to live stream on the Alyssa Fuchs page although right now I'm having a little connection issue but we will try and get that live stream up for you uh, just in a few minutes or so. Cool. And I am Jackie Cohen and I think that Pepsi tastes absolutely disgusting and I just want to be on the record you shut your white mouth and you can follow me on twitter or on instagram at jackie cohen that's j-a-q-i-c-o-h-e-n great so we have a great show lined up we're going to spend the first half of the show speaking about syria why because pandemonium has been basically ushered into our country ever since uh, donald trump decided to launch a military attack on syria and we're going to talk about the implications for that. You know, a lot of people are saying, I'm glad he took some action. He is presidential. This is his moment, especially if you watch cable news. You've been hearing a lot of praising. I even heard some people um, celebrating the missile strikes as fireworks and saying it was beautiful. That's what Brian Williams said. He literally was like, this was a be- beautiful. White people like some strange things. Yeah. <laughs> it was. It was No, but you know what? Not just white people. Fareed, um, I forget his Zakaria. last name. He also, on CNN, he was praising this too and saying that Donald yeah. Trump is very presidential. It said it was his first moment. He finally became president. I yes. blame this on whiteness. <laughs> but well and well regardless of the who we gonna who we blame it on, we're gonna have a deep discussion about that and we're also going to have a very special guest calling in, sharing his expertise with us because apparently Stanley's not the expert. Yes, I am. Apparently. <laughs> I am the expert on everything, guys. Right. Did you know if you put coconut oil in your Hennessy, it makes it easier to drink? No. So <laughs> anyway, let's forget the nonsense. Then later on the show, we will be inviting a very special guest in studio. We have Ebony K. Williams. She is a reoccurring host uh, on uh, Fox News. She's also an independent and Harlem resident, and she is extremely active in the community. I mean, it sounds like we're doing a Dreamer and Doer series. We're not. We're just going to be talking politics with her from her perspective because apparently we're just you know left-leaning progressives what? and we want to <laughs> right i know right so <laughs> we want to like i know right who would have guessed it yeah. that's what let your voice be heard is uh, consist of but we're going to uh, you know expand our reach and talk to someone with diverse views in a very civilized way we've attempted to do that on the show before it doesn't always go <laughs> as well, but it does win us awards. Yeah, so that is, that is <laughs> true, right? Hey, it works. Press Club Award winner. Right. Let your voice be heard. Definitely. And then last but not least, Alyssa, our resident legal scholar, will be giving us a quickie on why the GOP has gone nuclear and what this means for our country. Yeah, so um, obviously this really goes all the way back to last year when Justice Scalia died and we had an open Supreme Court seat that need to be f- needed to be filled and Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland to this court seat uh, and then that did not happen and now we are going to get a new Supreme Court justice his name is Neil Gorsuch and I'll tell you all about how that went down and you know basically everything you need to know about that situation definitely so guys if you want to let your voice be heard on these extremely important issues feel free to call us up at 212 
650-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. I'm checking the tweets right now. And you can leave your comments on Facebook live. Is, oh, is it your personal page, Stanley? Yes, Tell them how they can leave comments. If you're friends with me on Facebook, you can go to Stanley Fritz Facebook page, and I have Facebook Live there. Shout out to all the people who are on right now. Vern Ice, Lucia, Marcella, Marcella Barrientos, Gina Davis, thank you. We appreciate you guys. But now we got to go on a quick break, and when we get back. And you can leave it on Alyssa's fan page. Oh, okay, no, you can't. Okay, so we're going to go on a quick break. See, that's what happens when you use CompuServe. No, you're having the same issue, too. So. Oh. <laughs> all right, guys. All we'll right. be right back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. AM to the PM, PM to the AM phone Eat up your per diem, you just gotta hate them phone If I quit your BM, I still rock Mercedes phone If I quit this season, I still be the greatest phone My left stroke just went viral Right stroke, put a baby in a spiral Yes, Stanley, <laughs> I'm gonna need you to segue me into this a little bit <laughs> Alright, alright, alright but that was my Saturday. <laughs> the fantasy <laughs> shots. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Cool story, Stan. The, oh. the ATVs were being recruited to yes. be shipped out. Yes, yes, exactly. The eight, so, so Th- is that the new thing? They're not sending people to jail anymore. They're sending them to war Watch instead? me turn this into a lit segue, though. So, like, there are a bunch of guys on their dirt bikes, right? And they're, like, passing by the light. And there's a cop on the other side. And they're all waving at the cop. And the cop clearly doesn't care. And then somebody's across the street and goes, you're going to let them do that? The dirt bikers are gone now. The cop goes, yep, turns his siren on, makes a U-turn, and goes after them, which is pretty much what Trump just did with Syria. <laughs> no, I All mean, right, I see. I see what you did there. <laughs> okay, thank you for that uh, random, poetic. sporadic introduction, Stanley. Glad that you are done. And we do have our guest on the line? Yes, we do. Okay, perfect. So, the real topic is not expert. Stanley's ratchet Saturday night. <laughs> we will actually be talking about the outrage over the horrific attack that Syrian President Bashar al-Assad recently launched against his own people using chemical weapons and killing over 70 Syrian civilians. Now, this happened on Tuesday. 72 hours later, our president, Donald Trump, launched a missile strike. Your president. Okay. The pr- I'll just say the president the so that everyone is happy. The president, Donald Trump, he launched a missile strike on a Syrian air base using 59 Tomahawk missiles, which was a proportional and symbolic action that let Assad know that using chemical warf- warfare against your own people has crossed the line. However, we don't know if this was just a one-time action or if it will possibly lead to more military intervention or even war. Now, just to refresh everyone's memory, we've covered Syria and the Syrian civil war a few times here uh, over the last six years. This is where the Syrian government has been fighting against, well, insurgents have been fighting against the Syrian government uh, since 2011. And for the last six years, the civil war has been a uh, uh, sustained and fueled by foreign powers that are basically backing each side. So as a result, we have foreign sponsors like the United States, Russia, Iran, Saudi Arabia, and Turkey, who are essentially keeping this war going by supplying both sides with arms and materials. Now, this is a problem because instead of one side just conceding, instead of the locals there being able to advocate for peace and push for peace, what's happening is you have all of these foreign powers coming in and keeping this war going. And yes, we are guilty of that as well. So because of this intensifying stalemate between 200,000 and some reports say up to 400,000 Syrian civilians have been murdered. And that includes 24,000 
children. So why do we care so much at this point? I mean, if we think about it, Assad has been using conventional weapons to kill his people for the last six years, but he just killed 70 people using chemical warfare. Is this a case of selective outrage? We'll answer that in a bit. Now, and speaking of selective outrage, we saw our president, Donald Trump, say, you know, I was looking at those beautiful babies and this is what prompted me to take some action. But I'm like, okay, Donald Trump, you're the same president that's pushing for a travel ban that would indefinitely keep or, or at least up to 90 days keep Syrian refugees right. out of our country. So if you care so much about those children and those babies, let them in. Let them find refuge. Why are you keeping them out because of their religion? That's the question I want to that's the question that I have for Donald Trump. And on top of that, we have as we spoke about earlier when we opened the show, so many people in the mainstream media are praising this military intervention as something that is beautiful, patriotic, and something that will is something that we should be doing, uh, and that President Obama did not do. So that's something else that is definitely up for debate. And to help us with this very nuanced and complicated situation, we have an expert on the line with us. He's also a friend to the show. This is his third time appearing on Let Your Voice Be Heard. We have Stephen Pampanella. He is an assistant professor of political science and international relations at SUNY New Pulse. He also studies American foreign policy, state building, and counterinsurgency. And he used to work with Stanley at Citizen Action of New York on campaign finance reform issues. So welcome back, Stephen. Hey, everyone. How's it going? Hey, we're Steve. Do we're doing well. Morning. We're doing well. So, um, you know, uh, we just heard the introduction, and I basically briefed everybody on what's been happening. But, you know, there's so many open-ended questions here, Steve. And I want to start this uh, this conversation off by just asking you, um, was U.S. military interven intervention the right way to go to stop Assad? I mean, what are your, you know, initial thoughts on this? So, it, so as stated by the president, the purpose of the strike against Syria was to punish, punish the Assad regime for using chemical weapons against civilians and also to deter a future use of chemical weapons by signaling that the United States would strike again if they were used. Now, for this to be successful, the Assad regime must assume that this deterrence threat is credible, that the U.S. is going to follow up with a future attack and that a future strike would be costly to the regime. But it's not clear that either of those conditions have been met. The Trump administration has sent inconsistent signals about what it wants in Syria, and currently still is. Thus, any promise of a future action may not be taken seriously by Assad. And in addition, Thursday's night attack, Thursday night's attack only destroyed aircraft and material at a single airfield. That airfield still appears to be operational. A future attack would have to be more destructive, but that potentially could drag in Russia and Iran, Assad's allies, which have promised, which have, uh, which have deployed their own forces to Syria uh, to defend Assad in the civil war. It's likely that they will now make threats to raise the cost of a future attack by the United States by promising some kind of retaliation if it occurred. So long story short, it's entirely plausible that Assad will attempt to call Trump's bluff and use chemical weapons again because he believes that the U.S. won't want to create an even larger and more costly conflict. Guys, if you're just tuning in with us, we have on the line with us Stephen Pampanella. Uh, he is a professor of political science at, and international relations at SUNY New Pulse. Uh, and we're talking about Syria uh, in relation to what just happened when the U.S. launched missile strikes against Syria. And, you know, a lot of people are saying this could lead to war. What Stephen just said is it sounds like, from my interpretation, 
it was the missiles that we uh, launched against Syria, like a little slap on the wrist, right? It was more symbolic than anything. And the thing that I'm concerned about is what's going to happen next, right? What are what are the what are the U.S. goals? What are what is our objective here? Because if what Stephen is saying is that you know what Assad is just going to call our bluff, then what's the point of it at all, Stephen? Well, it's, it's not clear, actually. So there's not necessarily a kind of clear endgame here for the United States. I, I don't think, and many others don't think, that the Trump administration has thought through what the next steps are here, effectively. Um, what, how do we, do we retaliate if Assad uses chemical weapons? What if the Russians and Iranians uh, threaten to retaliate themselves if we, use, if we attack Assad for using chemical weapons again? Are we willing to risk a broader regional war uh, a war with other great powers over this particular issue. No one really knows. I don't think it's clear to the Trump administration themselves. They haven't thought out um, that far ahead. You Absolutely, guys. And guys, if you want to tune in, uh, you can call, or actually, if you want to chime into this conversation, call us up at 212-650-6903. Uh, we'll be taking calls and comments before we uh, open up this discussion to the panel. You know, I, when I was giving my intro, Stephen, I mentioned this could start a war, right? And I don't want to just be hyperbolic. If you can, from your expertise, uh, sort of uh, help us understand, could this be the, uh, the start of World War Three? Because I heard a lot of people very scared and thinking that this could happen. What do you say to that? So, uh, so I don't know about World War III. World wars usually involve uh, multiple great powers fighting on multiple continents, potentially also with nuclear weapons. It, it might not be that. Um, but certainly, uh, you potentially could have the United States involved in a direct military conflict uh, with, uh, with Iran or Russia in Syria. Uh, and so Iran and Russia right now are going to assure Assad that they will defend him if the United States attacks again. Uh, they're likely to make these uh, commitments public. They'll say publicly that if the United States attacks Assad, they will retaliate in some way. They might also try to position their own military forces uh, in greater cooperation with Assad's forces so that if the United States were to strike Assad, the United States might uh, actually end up attacking Russian or Iranian military forces, in which case they then would have greater reason themselves, more motivation for themselves to retaliate against the United States. So it's, it's possible that this conflict could escalate in terms of the Syrian conflict, where the United States could potentially get involved in military conflict with Russia and Iran. Um, but is there a possibility for broader conflict out, outside of that? It might involve other conflicts around the world, though. But certainly in, a, in Syria itself, uh, it's plausible to, to see a path um, where a greater conflict can occur between the United States and other powers involved in the war. And that is what scares the crap out of me. Because, I mean, President Obama could have made the same strikes towards Syria. That's not my issue. But the fact that we have someone this incompetent running the country and the military who has made these strikes, I think that is what will embolden and empower in Iran or Russia to really get bucked with the U.S., and this is the same person who botched a raid, the same person who does not know his own legislation. Why, why would anyone be confident that he could be, be able and capable to give a final call for sustained military action? And, and the big question that, you know, that I really have for you right now is in relation to ISIS. They have been pining at the bits to get the U.S. to engage in like on the ground combat. If U.S. engages with Syria in a deeper way and we get tro like real troops on the ground, does ISIS in theory win? So it's, it's not clear. So the notion of uh, deploying ground troops, that probably would not happen in response to Assad. 
uh, and the use of chemical weapons by Assad, the deployment of ground troops would more likely uh, occur in northeast Syria, where ISIS is, uh, still has some territory, where the United States is also supporting uh, Kurdish and Arab allies on the ground. Um, that's certainly a possibility. In fact, the Trump administration has escalated the use of military force uh, in that part of Syria to fight ISIS uh, since uh, the inauguration. Um, so what's, what's interesting, though, here is that you have almost now two conflicts that the United States is getting involved in. One, a conflict against ISIS. Two, uh, the Syrian civil war itself involving Assad and other Syrian rebel groups that are not ISIS. The question then becomes, so which of these conflicts does the United States prioritize in terms of pursuing its objective? Is it more interested in, in challenging Assad and using military strikes against him to prevent the use of chemical weapons, or is it more interested in defeating ISIS? Those two objectives might not be achievable at the same time. There are costs and trade-offs if you choose one uh, compared to the other. Even people like Republicans Paul Ryan saying, you know, I'm uncomfortable with this. And, you know, President Obama, he was a constitutional lawyer. He was almost criticized for moving too slowly mm -hmm. and making sure that he consulted with Congress back in 2013 before uh, taking some action. So, you know, the, the question that we have, and I know we have to go to break, so we'll, we'll come back to it is, you know, should he have consulted with Congress or should or do we want a president that could just take action? Uh, stay tuned. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Syria, chill, we don't want to fight. Donald Trump did this, go talk to him. Oh, hello, guys. <laughs> this hello. is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem, Syria, Russia, Iran. If you want the problems, I'm not trying to throw no hands, but Trump says his hand game is on point, so go see him. Selena? Thank you. So we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM. I'm Selena Hill here with Stanley Fritz, Alusa, uh, Alyssa Fugues, a and a loser <laughs> did it sound like I was saying that? Alyssa Fugues and Jackie Cohen. Uh, we also have on the line with us Stephen Pampanella. Uh, we're talking about Syria and uh, how the U.S. should have responded after we found out that Assad has again used chemical warfare on his own people. So you know, before we went to break, you. You know, I was asking the question of should uh, Donald Trump have consulted with Congress? I mean, I know that's the legal thing, the constitutional thing to do. Or did he have a legal right to take this type of action, Alyssa? No. Um, I mean, the answer is no. He did not have the legal right, although there are some legal scholars that will argue that he did. Um, but essentially, only Congress has the power to make war or to authorize a war. And so people have spent a lot of time talking about, oh, the response was proportional. Oh, it was a good thing to do to show Assad that we're not messing around, that you know we're not going to take for granted uh, the situation, and that we're not going to allow him to use chemical weapons, and that we want to send a message to 
Putin and to North Korea that we're not going to sit by while these things happen. But at the end of the day, a big reason why Obama did not act back in 2013 is because Congress did not want to approve this action. Um, As you may or may not know, Congress has a responsibility in this. And one of the ways they do that is to either declare war or by passing legislation known as the Authorization for Use of Military Force. Now, there currently are authorizations for the use of military force in effect that allow us to take certain actions in Afghanistan and in Yemen and in other places, but there is no AUMF, which is the the acronym for it, um, with respect to Syria. And so in 2013, Barack Obama went to Congress. He requested the authorization to use military force. Congress basically didn't do anything. They didn't really say yes. They didn't really say no, but they didn't really take up the issue. And so while you may say, yes, it was proportional, that still doesn't answer the question of whether it was constitutional, whether it was legal. And I'll remind you, when we erode parts of the Constitution and we stop listening to them, then it becomes easier to erode other parts of the Constitution and to stop listening to them. And that is why it is so important that there is a legal basis for this kind of attack. Thank you, Alyssa. So I think and from talking to people um, who I agree with and disagree with on a number of different issues, um, I think most people agree that there needed to be some kind of response from the United States, whatever that means, that there needed to be some kind of response, either military response, humanitarian response, whatever. Um, and so I want to bring it back to Steve and ask Steve, you know, what as as sort of an expert in these in this topic, what would you recommend if you were an advisor to the Trump administration? Um, what would you if you were Jared Kushner? Yeah. What would you have said, Steve? Yeah, right. What well, What would you have advised if I were Jared to happen? Kushner, I'd be in a beach somewhere. Yeah, right. Far away from the White House, but that's just me. Um, so it's it's a it's a very difficult situation with no good options. Uh, it's it's not clear that uh, enough military force could be used to really punish Assad and make him feel pain effectively for the use of chemical weapons. Nor is it clear that the United States can credibly commit to a future military strike uh, to increase the cost of future chemical weapons use either. Um, so it's it doesn't seem that, that a military option can solve the problem of Assad using chemical weapons against civilians. Um, is it possible that other options could be pursued here? Uh, could be, right? So one could be to engage Russia and Iran diplomatically on the Syria issue um, regarding the future status of, of Assad. Uh, now, this issue has kind of been discussed uh, in, in Syrian peace negotiations, the Geneva process. However, that process failed under the Obama administration uh, to some degree because uh, the Obama administration's threats uh, and negotiating positions were not seen credible after he backed off his red line uh, to attack Assad if he used chemical weapons in 2013. Assad did use those weapons. It seemed then that Obama, the Obama administration lost the initiative in its negotiations vis-a-vis Russia. Um, the broader the broader issue here is that some kind of negotiated settlement needs to be reached to end the Syrian civil war, um, and that particular option hasn't quite been pursued um, with the rigor necessarily that uh, that it could be. The Trump administration's first move here is basically been to resort to military force. They might try diplomacy instead. Thank you so much for that, Stephen. We definitely always appreciate your expertise. And before we let you go, we just want to give you a chance to let our listeners know how they can get in contact with you, maybe tweet their questions at you, uh, or read some of your writings. Oh, sure. So my, uh, on Twitter, uh, I am at Steve Pampanella, S-T-E-V-E, Pampanella, P-A-M-P-I-N-E-L-L-A. Uh, and uh, I've written a few things for uh, different outlets, 
uh, regarding foreign policy, some on uh, what Bernie Sanders' foreign policy might be at foreign affairs, another uh, for uh, NY Slant, which is party of City and State of New York, on Andrew Cuomo's uh, policies towards Israel. Uh, if you just Google my name and those uh, issues and names, they'll come right up. Uh, and uh, feel free to email me as well, uh, P-I-M-P-I-N-E-S at newpulse.edu. Thank you again, Stephen. And, you know, we're going to keep the conversation going here. If you guys want to let your voice be heard, call us up, 212-650-6903. I kind of want to open up the discussion to the panel and just, you know, ask, do you agree with Trump taking action and specifically this action? I mean, I, I tend to feel the same way that Stanley does, which is that I don't trust Trump to, to you know, take any kind of military action. I think that he's talked about being very trigger happy. He's very interested in nuclear warfare, which was something that we know that came up on the campaign trail. So I'm really nervous, right? I I don't, you know, it's like one thing to take action if it's going to do something productive, but I don't see that's you know, that's not what happened here. Right. And at the same time, like we I think Alyssa mentioned earlier, it's he's someone who or Selena mentioned that he's someone who's put up further restrictions to allowing refugees to enter the country. Right. I would feel I mean, to me, that is such a bigger solution is to allow refugees a safe place in the United States. And I would prefer to see that over military action. But, you know, I don't I don't trust him. Well, the president has shown notes like tips or like suggestions that he is competent and he has a skeleton version of a, of a foreign policy team that haven't even fully staffed up. Right. So it, that makes me very nervous. But then also, what is the end game for engaging with Syria? Are we going to overthrow Assad? Who are we replacing him with? And the thing that I don't think people are thinking about, especially those people who seem to be all in love with the idea of going to war with Syria, is this. If you take Assad out, that leaves a power vacuum the same way when you took out Saddam Hussein, it left the power vacuum in Iraq. And no one has any idea who to replace him with, who is a moderate. And, of course, America wants to have somebody in there that's going to be their ally. That's a big reason why the Obama administration did not go after them. Well, you know what, Stanley, I was listening to NPR this morning and they had a former general under the Bush administration uh, giving his assessment on military action. And he basically said he was very happy that uh, Donald Trump took this action. And he said, and I think one of the questions were, you know, what happens if Assad is overthrown? And he was like, I think the Syrian people should just figure that out. (laughs) And I'm in my car gasping because I'm like, this is exactly what happened with Iraq. We came in there, caused chaos, and they were like, you guys figure it out. And then we have ISIS. Right. And I think that's a big problem, which is this idea of regime change, because, you know, look, look, when you look at what was going on in Iraq, we got rid of Saddam Hussein. um, And yes, there was a lot of problems with that, um, that we don't have the opportunity to get into. We have spoke about those issues at length on other shows when we've discussed Iraq. But we also had people in Iraq that we could, in theory, put in place. Um, The same thing when it comes to Libya or when it comes to Egypt. And we could argue about whether it was a good idea to actually put the people that the Americans chose in those positions, because in some cases it hasn't actually worked out. But we have right Iraq. Um, Egypt is another example mm-hmm. of that. But th- at least we, th- the point is we had somebody that we thought we trusted that might be able to go- do a good job. In this situation, there's literally a vacuum. If Assad goes, there is absolutely nobody to come in and take their place. Obviously, ISIS wants to come in and run Syria. That's the whole idea of them trying to establish a caliphate, which is the reason why you have them calling themselves 
ISIS to begin with, right? It stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria because they want to take over that area. They want to run that area. They want to be the government for that area and create basically their own sovereign state. We don't want ISIS to create a sovereign state because obviously ISIS is a terrorist group. So then who? Who goes in that place? If Assad goes and we can't trust ISIS to go in there, and obviously we would never want ISIS in there, there's no like moderate group because the moderate group, really some of them became ISIS. So it creates this position or this scenario where it's like, who's going to fill that role if Assad goes? And it could be worse and it could lead to worse problems for the United States. Yeah. We have comments, Stanley? Yeah, we do have a really good comment from um, Kush. Kush, thanks for listening to Facebook Live today. And he makes a really good point of saying, don't forget we have an oil exec as our secretary of state and all of a sudden we're back in the middle east well you know what here's a question that i I raised because um and i I talked about this in my intro why are we really in syria we don't care like the united states the trump administration they don't care about the refugees they don't care about the civilians and that's been shown and i actually heard a report that said that the u.s wants to install a natural gas line uh, pipeline in syria could that's, this be a factor of why we bombed the country? That's a big thing that Russia and U.S. have been fighting for, even when Obama was president. That's like a big piece of it, Jackie. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think that's an excellent point. And at the end of the day, you know, Trump's going to come out and say that he's so concerned about these beautiful babies, right? Um, which even, like, hearing those words out of his mouth for some reason just, like, put me off. Because I think it's so disingenuous, right, to put a block against allowing refugees to come in for any period of time, right? And to say that they are a threat to us. I mean, this is like, we've heard this time and time again, right? Like as a Jew, I I think of Jews being turned away from the border during the Holocaust and being sent back to Germany, right? Like I can't help but draw that parallel. And I think that if he, you know, he's trying to frame it to the public as a humanitarian crisis. And I think he got a lot of credit from people for addressing it as as being a humanitarian issue right look at yeah could i jump in on that it's funny you mentioned he got credit for being a humanitarian crisis and he said like when you're poisoning innocent people like you have to suffer the consequences i don't see any bombs going to governor snyder's house Oh, <laughs> talk yeah. about poisoning guys, your own people. Yeah, poisoning right. your own people. We That's don't have chemical warfare in, Mich- right, in, Flint, in Flint, Michigan. But we right. poison their water, so why don't we drop some B-52s onto Governor Snyder's mansion? But that just goes to prove my point, which is he does not care about the humanitarian aspect of this, right? I, I think that it's disingenuous. And maybe he does. Maybe he saw that video. I mean, I think that, like, you would have to have z- no soul whatsoever. And maybe, I mean, I don't want to... You know, <laughs> maybe I, he does. I think he doesn't. Right. But um, to see those videos and those images of of those people suffering, especially those children. I mean, I don't think anybody could watch that and not stay up at night thinking about, uh, you know, just opening our borders and, and helping them. Right, right, which exactly. is exactly what I was going to say, which is <laughs> when I was at the Women in the World Festival on Wednesday night, one of the guest speakers was Nikki Haley, who's the ambassador to the UN. <laughs> and so she was making a comment uh, that she was sort of getting booed for um, and heckled for about the things that we've done to push back against Russia and specifically with Syria and talking about the atrocities that's, that are going on. And she was getting heckled the whole time. But one of the hecklers yelled out, what about the refugees? And that's exactly the point, which is if you really, I mean, Donald Trump can say all he wants that, oh, I was crying. I saw these awful (laughs) videos of this sarin gas attack and it made me so sad and people shouldn't be treated like that. Okay, fine. But you're still banning those people from coming into the country because apparently an innocent six month old baby is somebody who might be a terrorist (laughs) and is scary. And we have to do some extreme extreme vetting vetting, on, on top of which just about this second point about people saying like Hillary would have gotten us involved in the same situation um, as Donald Trump. And you know what? That's probably true. The difference is, at least to me and 
I know people on the far left will definitely disagree with me is that, you know, Hillary wasn't perfect, but she's stable. She doesn't always react to emotion and and she's smart and she's coordinated. And I think if she would have made this decision, she would have had plans about what was going to happen next, what things we were going to do next. I honestly think that the only reason that Donald Trump launched this attack is because his poll numbers are in the toilet and he knew by launching an attack, people were going to start praising him. And that's exactly what happened because the day after he attacked the news media yep. was like kissing his golden toes. he said toes. the same thing about Obama, right? right? Well, he said well, the well, exact same thing about yeah, Obama. Yeah, and speaking of stability and having a stable leader, I-, I wanted to bring up what Donald Trump has tweeted back in 2013 Thank because you. apparently a lot of his tweets do not age well. So <laughs> or they age perfectly. Yeah, right, yeah. right. Very, very well. Depending on your perspective here. So he tweeted more than a dozen times on Syria back in 2013 urging President Obama not to take action. He was saying things like forget Syria that's a quote uh, do not attack Syria stay out of Syria uh, and then he also called Obama's red line very dumb <laughs> so now so now he does in a complete 180 and I want to just say that him and his traveling White House they also took a a complete 180 in a matter of days at first Rex Tillerson was like you know I think that Assad, the Syrian people are going to have to decide what should be done and then he was like no Assad must step down from power and now we have president trump taking this action and it's like all of a sudden he's being praised for 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 being a hypocrite and for making and for being extremely ironic yeah he also tweeted in 2012 now that obama's poll numbers are in a tailspin watch for him to launch a strike in libya or uh, or iran he's desperate that's what he tweeted can we just fix that can we fix that um now that donald trump's poll numbers are in a tailspin uh watch for him to launch a strike against syria because he's desperate right the man said it himself i can't so we do have to wrap this up but before we do i definitely want to get everyone's final comments on the panel and just say you know where where do we go from here um and and what are the prospects for ending the syrian war stanley do not let this stupid conflict or the stupid action distract you from the fact that a day before we did these strikes, we had found out that Blackwater was working with Russia to create a back-channel form of communicating with Donald Trump. That's what we had found out just a day or two before the U.S. decided to make these strikes. There was collusion with Russia in the election, and I'm pretty sure that Donald Trump was very much involved in that. And when the bleep hits the fan, I hope it takes everyone down. Syria, if you're listening, I will take all your refugees for the entire Trump administration. Thank you, Jackie. Yeah, I feel, I mean, I would reiterate exactly what Stanley said. I think that we need to allow more Syrian refugees to enter our country. I think that there, you know, if we're going to talk about this as being a humanitarian crisis, we need to address it as such. Thank you. Alyssa? Yeah, no, I would agree with that. And I also would say that if we are going to engage in some kind of military action, we have to involve Congress. And this isn't a, a, a partisan thing. This isn't a liberal thing. I mean, look, Ron Paul, who is retired now, but his son, Rand Paul, uh, Congressman Massey, Justin Amash, those are all very, very, very conservative politicians. And they are all equally as upset with the fact that this strike was ordered without any congressional approval as I am. Remember, when we erode one part of the Constitution, we start eroding all the parts of the Constitution. We need to make sure we go about things the legal way. Agreed. And I just want to leave everyone with this. The Syrian government has been bombing hospitals and killing innocent victims using conventional weapons for years. And it is such a shame when the U.S. positions itself in such a hypocritical manner. Just because Assad is using chemical warfare does not mean he wasn't killing people 
a month ago. And it does not also mean we're not killing people as we are on this war of ISIS. I think we killed just 130 people in Raqqa, which is in Syria, within the last month. So people are dying. Let's not stop. Let's not pretend that we only care when it's a certain type of red line being crossed. Where is our humanity? That's the question. And I think that what this is showing and it's exposing America for what it is. It's capitalistic and it's we only do things that serve our own interests and it's time to take a stance we have voices we have social media we have the power of the vote and we as the people must use this to help the syrian refugees on that note we have to take a quick break but don't go anywhere we'll be right back WHCR 90.3 FM, New York. Hey guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. If you were just tuning in, we had a great conversation on Syria and how Donald Trump, the orange man with the bad tan and the poor hair, bombed Syria. And we might be having beef with Iran and Russia, or probably not because, you know, Russia, America, Trump, Russia, who knows. But anyways, guys, now it's time for the news roundup where we talk about our favorite news stories throughout the week. Things that made you laugh, things that made you cry, things that made you curse, flip a table, do the cat daddy, or go to Corner Social and get Way too lit for Saturday at 3.36 p.m. And I'm here with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, and we got a surprise guest, but I'm not going to say who it is because she's magical. <laughs> and you know it's not a surprise because we've been announcing that. That's right. And Alyssa <laughs> is showing me a cup of water. I'm not sure why. Oh, for me to, oh, for Selena. She's saying that she got me a cup of so water. So <laughs> Alyssa got you water, but she didn't get me water. You know what? I had to yeah. ask this her. You know what? This is woman privilege. That's what that is, okay? Mm-hmm. Anyway. You didn't ask for water, but get your own I water, am a man. man. I am a man. I don't ask for anything. You bring it to me because I said so, okay? I can't. I don't know who you think you're talking about, but this is a very feminist uh, panel we have going on here. So nobody's getting you water. Listen, boo Everybody's telling you, Listen. get your own water. You know what? Have a blessed day. Right. <laughs> well, speaking. <laughs> family. Spicy Sundays. I know, right? So speaking of having blessed days, you know who's not having a blessed day? Who? Donald Trump. Yep. Yeah, well, well, hold on. The alt-right and white nationalists, apparently they led a intense protest against Donald Trump's airstrikes on Syria. The far really? right is so upset that Donald Trump is going back on his word again. In 2013, he tweeted over and over again, let's not take any military action in Syria. And we know that this country cannot stomach the thought of war. So they are very upset. I don't think they'd be happy about us blowing up brown people. Well, I mean, <laughs> there's another reason why they're upset is because they're they take a very nationalist view and part of that nationalistic view is that we shouldn't be spending money overseas and as you probably heard launching 65 tomahawk missiles costs a lot of money and just the munitions themselves cost a lot of money so when you are spending that kind of money getting involved in places overseas which is exactly why some of these people voted for Donald Trump because he said let's not get involved in other places let's not play world police then of course yeah it's going to get them upset because they're like well America first there's one more thing I wanted to mention um, before the end of this segment which is when I was at the women of the world uh, thing they had on a doctor from Syria and she said that the doctor 
doctors in Syria, they don't feel supported. They feel like the rest of the world isn't paying attention. So if you use the hashtag force for good, mm. that is a way to show doctors and nurses and medical personnel on the ground in Syria that we're thinking about them, that we think they're doing a good job and that we, we're behind them. So while that Syrian doctor is doing heart surgery, they will stop and go on Twitter to see if you're using that hashtag. Well, so make sp- sure you- speaking of using hashtags for good, let's yes. talk about all the social media outrage that happened when Kendall Jenner tried to save the world with some Pepsi. Wait, 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 wait. You will not attack my white devil princess, <laughs> Kendall. Wait, is it Kendall? I don't. This is it's Kendall. Jenner. It's, it's Kendall. Kendall Jenner, the model. Stanley, really? Do you not know which Jenner you're talking <laughs> exactly. about? Exactly. Or They're Kardashian. Okay, so anyway, just in case you guys haven't watched this video over and over again, yeah. just to get a laugh or maybe cry. Um, so Kendall Jenner, she was featured in this Pepsi ad, and she basically tried to stop police violence against black people <laughs> and every, every single ism in the world and every single form of violence against black and brown people with a Pepsi can. Yeah. And somehow they thought this was a good idea. And you know what? <laughs> uh, first of all, Pepsi, they like defended themselves because like I like immediately there was so much outrage. Pepsi released a statement. They were like, you know, this is good. This is good for humanity. And then eventually, I think within a couple more hours, they walked it back and they apologized to not the black and brown people that were offended to Kendall Jenner for putting her in the situation in the first hand. So, I mean, was I the only one that was upset about this? Well, Ugh, no, <laughs> that that picture commercial was pretty much a big all lives matter promo. That's <laughs> what that was. So, of course, when you when you make white people uncomfortable for their problematic behavior, they have to react in a way that makes them feel better while ignoring and erasing you in that commercial. You know, honestly, like if we're looking at it from like a marketing perspective, and like a messaging perspective, it was really good. You had like you hit all the checks. You had the black. You had the woman. You had transgender people. You had the woman with the hijab with the camera being a regular American. You had everyone loving each other. It looked, it looked like the cast of a CW TV show, CW 11 yeah. TV show. <laughs> yeah. So it was all those things. What made it like she, they probably could have gotten away with it. If they didn't do the last part when Caitlyn or Kendall, the Jenner, walks, <laughs> walks up to a police officer and hands him a Pepsi. And the cop not only drinks it, but he smiles. And now let me tell you why that was the biggest problem. Anyone who has been like really big in the protest movement or big in activism knows that the police are not that friendly. No. They are not friendly at all. I have had cops threaten me. And all I did was walk by. I have had friends attacked by cops. I had friends who were protesting in Ferguson. They'd be in church meetings and the cops would come through and shoot the church up with rubber bullets and say, oh, we thought there was a riot happening over here. The police have been, and not all police, obviously, but in in the theme of protesting, the police have been extremely aggressive and violent. So when you do a commercial like that, you're undermining the struggles that so many people have gone through. When Colin Kaepernick can't find a job because he he kneeled during the um, the anthem, you can't tell me that Kate, Kate... Kendall Jenner passing someone at Pepsi is going to solve those problems. And if you disagree or you agree or you think I'm crazy or you didn't understand a word that I said because I talk too fast, which is plausible, give me a call at 212-650-6903. Yeah, I mean, listen, there are good ways to do a social justice activism commercial and there are bad ways to do it. I think Pepsi learned right away this week that this was a bad way to do it. But I'll give you a good example of where you can have sort of a subtle social justice message or pro-immigrant message, uh, because that's what my example is going to be, without being offensive. And that's that's the uh, Budweiser 
commercial, right? The Budweiser commercial is based on real life. It's based on the fact that Adolphus Bush was an immigrant from Germany yep. who came to the United States and ended up creating Budweiser and founding the the Bush Company, which eventually merged with Anheuser and became Anheuser Bush, which is the largest producer of water uh, of beer, um, watered down beer in in America right now. And so that commercial was very true to form in what the Germans uh, refuse sorry German immigrants went through when they first came to the United States and what other immigrants went through when they came to the United States. Um, and that was a good way to do social justice pro-immigrant messaging without crossing the line into getting offensive Ugh. or, you know, something else. Jackie's groaning. So I think it all crosses in. the line. I don't need really? to see a commercial for Budweiser or for Pepsi that's like, oh, like, activists, we stand with you. We're activists, too. We, Anheuser-Busch, or we, yes. Pepsi-Cola, right? Like, it's just all... A load of crap well, to well, me. So, so here's the thing, and we can argue either way because if Budweiser or Pepsi didn't at least even try to take they didn't this have stance, to try, you Who's know, asking them to. Yeah. I mean, they shouldn't. I, I want to see corporate companies no. support our movement. Look. I want to see them resist. Look, Go ahead, I, I don't think. I mean, they shouldn't be like they're gonna do what they're going to do. They are a huge corporation. I don't think that they should be using images that are like. You know, they, no, they so should they be did it the wrong way, but should they try? But why do they but need like, to like send a message about like protests happening in this country? I mean, it didn't send a message at all, right? And at yeah. the end of the day, like just sell your product. Like you don't have to, you don't have to take advantage and capitalize on like a political that's a but that's what they're doing right yeah. and that's why I don't feel comfortable. That's with what it. it's all about. They're just trying to make money. They're co-opting like a, an entire movement to make money, but. Have they ever given money to Black Lives Matter? Have they ever given money to Surge? Have they ever assisted with any of these movements? Are they out here? Did they give Colin Kaepernick an endorsement deal after this? <laughs> right. After he nailed? Right. No, because they're just trying to make money at, at for the moment. And let's be very clear, because th there's a huge activist movement. There's a huge grassroots movement fighting for justice on all forms. And then there was just the coolness of being an activist. And if you don't know what I mean, go to a march and see how many people are just taking pictures, holding up signs, or laying down on the ground to look dramatic. Hold on, because when I did that, you could Criticize me? Are you talking about yeah. someone like me? I wasn't talking about you, but yeah, talking I have to exactly you. about you. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I think like sell your product, like do what you're gonna do. It doesn't need to, like you don't have to have this like fake social message, right? And that's even more offensive than if they weren't to address it at all, right? I think that to, for Anheuser Busch to have this like. Oh, like we have a history of immigration, and we are just you know like this small like brewery that you know we understand the struggles that Relax um immigrants brewery. today are in, right like I, I think it's offensive like just sell your product but, but there but i i do see it as taking advantage of a bigger political yeah. movement and i think that we can all agree there that it felt very disingenuous very inauthentic and um if they do want to help they should just donate a million dollars not a million pepsis to the next also black lives so matter gross like yeah. i yeah. mentioned this at the beginning of the it's show it's garbage. nasty it's disgusting yeah it's garbage and syrup all right so we can talk about pepsi forever but we're actually not going to talk about that um i know this has another story yeah so speaking of activism there was news that came out this week that the NYPD infiltrated the New York City chapter of Black Lives Matter say. around the time that Eric Garner died and actually um, was able to obtain private communications between activists about locations for uh, different actions um, and other 
private plans that were being made uh, to do protest <sighs> and activism work um, by using both undercover officers to infiltrate the groups th- themselves and also by using potentially or potentially using what's called stingray technology to intercept uh, different communications by essentially tricking cell phones into thinking that they're communicating with your cell phone network's tower when instead the NYPD is actually setting up a dummy tower where all your communications are now going through. So essentially the NYPD is modeling the fact that uh, that signal is hitting their tower when you think that it's going through your communications network. And so they're now able to basically steal all your messages without a warrant and without you knowing about it. What a surprise. (laughs) I cannot believe that NYPD has been spying on Black Lives Matter and activists. What? (laughs) You know what? I guess the Pepsis didn't work, guys. Yeah, I, I guess Pepsi couldn't this achieve is, anything there's here. There's nothing new. The NYPD and police and the FBI have been infiltrating social justice groups for as long as a black or brown person has said, we're not taking your crap anymore. Young Lords infiltrated Black Panthers, infiltrated SNCC, infiltrated Nation of Islam, infiltrated New York Knicks, infiltrated <laughs> any group with a large mass of black people, they will infiltrate. And Wait, that is the uh, problem. They didn't infiltrate the Jets yet. Can we do something about that? Well, the Jets have an All Lives Matter owner, so that's not going to happen. Oh, wow. No, no, I, I completely agree. It's definitely not a surprise. I mean, it wasn't too long ago we were talking about how NYPD were surveilling uh, Muslims, um, people that could we should be working with uh, to fight the quote-unquote war on terror, but instead they were terrorizing them in their mosque, in their home, and even at their schools. Let me just mention, there's a very good book about that called How Does It Feel to Be a Problem? And it ta- there's these different people sharing their stories of how police were literally undercover in their mosque spying on them and then reporting it back. This is not something that just kind of happens coincidentally. There's an entire campaign within the, dep- the department, particularly in the NYPD, to do this. And a, it is very problematic. And it, it just adds to the level of distrust that people of color have for police. Not Definitely. only is it problematic, it's unconstitutional. They right. brought a lawsuit against the police department for these unconstitutional spying on Muslim groups. Um, and number one, the police department actually had to disband the demographics unit. Number two, the demographics unit never did anything. In fact, the police department can't sorry, can't point to one credible threat of terrorism that was foiled because of the demographics unit. In fact, Bill Bratton has actually come out and said, we took it apart because it was useless. On top of which, they got sued for it, and now there's a big settlement that uh, was finally just approved in the Southern District um, that is operating under the hand shoe guidelines, which goes all the way back to the MIPD conducting surveillance in the 1970s, and this lawsuit actually falls under that, and so now the police department is even going to be under more scrutiny when it comes to spying on people based on religious preferences um, and other demographic issues. So I wanted to switch gears, but if you guys have a news story or you want to say something, give us a call at 212-650-6903. If you have Facebook Live comments, write them down and I will read them. Write them down? Yeah, write them on Facebook. Write them on Facebook. Okay. Or tweet them at us. I'm sorry, do you you, like visualize your your comments? (laughs) She was like, hold on, guys. Let me get out the quill pen and and the jar of ink. I like this comment. (laughs) I'm I'm going to dip the ink in the quill pen and then... I'm going to do hieroglyphics. There oh, wait, wait, wrong era. Sorry. Yeah, right. Oops. So um, here is my news story. In case you guys do not know, New York State, for the first time, uh, and actually quite some time, was ex- extremely late in their budget. So, so for the first time in six years, the mm-hmm. New York State budget was late. And they finally agreed, at least in principle, to a budget 
on Saturday, and that budget is going to include a piece that provides quote-unquote free college tuition for students who are going to public universities in New York State. It also raises the age for criminal responsibility. Right. With a lot of caveats. With not some caveats, yeah. A well, lot of caveats. Same thing with the, the free well, tuition well, has well, a lot of caveats, too. Well, okay, so we'll raise the age. Let's talk about the caveats because, I mean, okay. it seems simple. Teenagers should not be being jailed with adults. Yeah, so first off, let me just tell you that Senate Republicans are racist, including Senate Republican um, Mark Croce, who said that he didn't want to help rapists and drug dealers get out of prison, even though he has a heroin epidemic in his district. So I hope you think your constituents children are, are rapists and drug dealers since they are one of the people being eaten by the system. Mm. Secondly, the actual bill raises the age for criminal offenders, but when you're under a certain age and you're arrested, your um, record can be expunged. So for those 16 well, to 17... Sealed, not expunged. We don't you. have expungement in New Thank York. Thank you. So sealed. So those 16 to 17 year olds who are now taken in by the system, they have to wait 10 years for their records to be sealed in, in the situations they're engaged with. Also, if you're arrested for smoking drinking, public urination, you're still going through the regular court system. So there's just a lot of different oh, caveats right. in there and it's Do just you want me to explain it's that? not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So the reason so basically when there's low level quality of life of offenses, because most of them are violations already, they're not crimes, um, those are not going to get diverted into the juvenile justice system because the purpose of diverting some of these crimes into the juvenile justice system is so that kids that are under eighteen do not get left with criminal records. Something like an open container or uh, low level marijuana, as long as it's not burning or open to public view, because well well, there's a distinction on that in under New York state law, too. Um, those are already violations. They are already not crimes. And so that's why those are not going to get diverted into family court, because there's no possibility of them leaving you a criminal record to begin with. The other exception is that if you are accused of a very violent crime, like a murder or a rape, um, those being the two that I can think of off the top of my head, those are not going to be diverted. Well, they, they have the, the option. DA's discretion. It's going to be at the DA's discretion. And the reason for that is because they feel that, you know, with certain very violent crimes, you should not get the benefit of going to the juvenile justice system. We could obviously... White. We could No, because it's not... Influenza? Yeah, but that, I, I no, but I'm just talking about the law. You're talking about the bigger picture. Um, just in terms of the law, it's not going to matter whether you're black or you're white. In terms of reality, it might, as you know. There's a difference between the law and reality, but we should make that clear. Um, and so those people, the DA is going to have discretion to divert them into the regular criminal justice system. This way, if they are convicted, those crimes will not be sealed because they are considered to be very, very serious crimes. Um, there are some other sort of things, like it's not going to go into effect for several years, so it's going to take some time to transition three Thank you, um, Stanley was telling me. Um, but overall, it has to be one of those things where we say, would we rather get something, even if it's not exactly what mm -hmm. we want, versus would we rather get nothing? And let me tell you, there are a lot of kids that are 16, that's 17, that should never have been in the criminal justice system, the adult criminal justice system. And this bill will now put them into family court. And that's a good thing, even if it doesn't go far enough. You know, speaking of that, Alyssa, you know, it's... Are we getting at least something? And that's why I wanted to throw it to Jackie about free college because it sounds like a great idea. Right. But is it something that's a little problematic? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely, I, with, uh, you know, understandably, there's definite issues with it. I don't think there's ever going to be like a catch all cure for the ever-increasing cost of college. Um, but there is a there are issues with it. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're not going to extend um, tuition assistance to students that need it, tuition is one thing, but think about all the other expenses and fees, right? Room and board, textbooks, things like that. I mean, tuition is just one 
part of college expense, but is certainly not the whole thing. And it's not even in necessarily the most expensive part of paying for college. So while this is a good thing and a step in the right direction, it certainly could go further, especially for low-income students um, who need additional assistance in paying for, for college costs. Definitely. And you know what? I just wanted to end really quickly before we end the news roundup and move on on a high note. Did everyone see and celebrate Michelle Obama's natural hair and all that volume? I did. I was so happy. I don't know. Stanley, you don't look happy. You didn't even say anything. Well, Were you Michael, happy? My Michael's off. I mean, oh, <laughs> he's and like, Stanley I didn't get say it. anything Stanley, about Barack's wife. Stanley doesn't yeah. get it. I was so happy. You know, see, you can talk about Michelle's okay, hair. Okay, so maybe I can maybe. talk about Michelle's hair. If he talks about Michelle's hair, he's gonna have to worry about Barack coming by <laughs> later <laughs> on. <laughs> I doubt uh, that. Stanley. Stanley, um, why are you talking about my wife's hair? Watch your mouth before it gets slapped. <laughs> All right, so Barack Obama <laughs> doesn't talk like that, but I, I was know. so. He's from, I, he's from Chicago. Yeah, but he doesn't talk like that. Mm-hmm. Love so so. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I was so happy. Um, FYI, we talked about not too long ago black women at work and natural hair actually hurts women in the workplace. Black women know that for a fact, but an empirical study proved that just a few months ago and it turns out that white women have the most bias against black women who wear natural hair so i was so happy when michelle obama said you know what forget that this is me all natural i loved it it's something to celebrate and now we do have to go to a quick break but don't go anywhere when we come back we'll be speaking live with ebony k williams right here talking politics on let your voice be heard So he's asking me the key. Till you own your own, you can't be free. Till you own your own, you can't be me. How we still slaves in 2016. Until you own your own, you can't be free. Until you own your own, you can't be me. Jigger Man always knows exactly what to say. He's having he twins. He is. <laughs> I brag different. Can't wait. My swag's different. My wife's Beyonce. I mean, I'll brag about that, too. I would brag I about mean, that every second yeah, because of every day. If he wasn't famous, he's even said it. Beyonce would not be his wife. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. coming from him. That's coming from I'm him, sure not from me. I mean, like, let's, let's, let's be honest, because there's, there's three things that all of black America loves. White Hennessy, barbecues, and then Beyonce. Mm-mm. After that, yeah, yeah, definitely. Else is debatable. Tiffany's disagreeing with you already. <laughs> this is... This. No. We start, we're starting quick. <laughs> no, actually not. You know, you guys are being bullies. So listen, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM, WHCR, The Voice of Harlem. I'm here with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, Jackie Cohen, and of course, our very special guest, Ebony K. Williams. And before I give her the immaculate introduction that she deserves, oh. let me tell you what you have missed so far. We talked about Syria and whether we can trade Donald Trump for a bag of Cool Breeze Doritos, I was going to say something else. I caught myself. <laughs> cool Breeze Doritos well and, a t- and a quart of water for the Syrian refugees. And then during the news roundup, we talked about Kendall Jenner. Is that the right name? Yes, yes. that's yeah. Kendall, Kendall yes, Jenner. That's Do you right not Jenner. know your Jenners? I don't Get it together, Stanley. I don't care about Do you at least know women. Caitlin? Who's Caitlin? Oh, the uh, girl. And do you know Kim? The the Card- <laughs> Kim Kardashian? Yeah, Kanye West. The one yeah, that I love how you said Caitlin's the girl. That's perfect. <laughs> right. What'd you call it? Um, Didn't Kim Kardashian send Kanye to the sunken place? 
That's how oh. I know her. But we are not here to talk about broken white women or crazy black people. We are here to talk about politics and have an armchair conversation about all the amazing things in the world. And today, we have a very special guest in the studio to help us have that conversation. If you are wondering what greatness looks like, if you are wondering what someone who knows the law but also knows how to read you and at the same time talk about all the coolest things in the world looks like, she is in the studio and she is here with the leather jacket hanging on the shoulders oh so smoothly. If you are wondering what it means to travel the country just out here dabbing but not really dabbing because you too on fleet for that life she is here in the studio and who is she her name is ebony k williams esquire don't forget the esquire esq choir and she is a fox news legal excuse me channel legal and political contributor and a frequent co-host on outnumbered on the five outnumbered because she is usually outnumbered but still holding it down for all the people out here in these streets she is also the executive producer of american trial a courtroom drama depicting the fictional trial of nypd officer daniel pantaleo surrounding eric garner's death and if you want to call her that's too damn bad we're not giving you her number because she is not <laughs> about to give you her number just because she you heard her on the radio that is not how it works out and today I'm excited to have her in the studio because usually what you have in this space is a whole bunch of liberals and then far left Stanley who thinks everything is racist. One time we had a conversation about Wonder Bread and I said it's white because of the institution of racism. <laughs> so Facts. We, very, we very rarely have anyone who even slightly differs with our opinion. And if we do, we lambast them over the phone and they never call back again. So this now we have this. Also facts. <laughs> this brilliant independent in the studio with us and I thought why don't we just have a random conversation throwing around different topics in the mm -hmm. political diaspora so Ebony's going to be helping us with that conversation and giving us a lot of great information and telling us where she stands but before we even jump into that Ebony please let the listeners know who you are and you know why you do the work that you do first of all thank you for that fabulous intro Stan um, so those of you that are not familiar I've known Stan and the team here including Selena uh, all for a while you know uh, we engage with one another in the community and that's really important so to your question of why do I do what I do so I was a trial lawyer by by trade uh, specializing in criminal defense uh, I was a public defender at a time in North Carolina which is why the raise the age issue rings very very close to my heart I'm someone who stood at a table with a 16 year old uh, trying to convince the court and a judge to either put that person in deferred prosecution or some type of bootleg dismissal deal we could put together because the consequences of a 16 or 17 year old wearing that conviction, uh, least of all a felony, they're, they're completely devastating. It cannot be overstated. Uh, so we'll get to my thoughts on the current pending race to age l uh, legislation here in New York, but that's just kind of the spirit of which I come from. So my transition from law to politics is based on that, on, on my completely convinced belief, as Brother Malcolm said, that the media is the most important thing in the world. It will have you believing that the guilty are innocent and the innocent are guilty. Uh, so perception becomes reality. And, you know, as you guys were speaking about, you know, there's the law and then there's reality. And, and I, I work in this space of media, particularly currently at Fox News Network, uh, to help bridge some of that disconnect to the extent that I can. Uh, each passing day, it becomes more... Uh, authentic to me how difficult that can be for certain parts of our country and certain segments and certain audiences. Uh, but that's not reason for me to give up on it. 
And so that's kind of a bit about how I transitioned. We're going to have a prayer call for you later today because you're going to need it working at Fox News. So now I do prayer every day anyway. You know what? <laughs> so so that's I welcome your prayer. Listen, beloved, I just paid off my cell phone bill, all right? I can make calls again. I got you, okay? Thank you. So now. I'm up at the prayer line. <laughs> on the main, <laughs> Sunday morning on the main line. That's right. You, you yeah. miss Brother Dalton. We have a show that comes on before mm. us. And this man plays the littest gospel music I have ever heard. Yeah, I'm a gospel trap. Gospel yeah. trap? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I'm a fan of that. I'm more of a Yolanda Adams type of gal, me, myself. But, you know, it's you, all good. You ever heard of Ju- Juicy J? Um, <laughs> it's short for Juicy Jesus Christ, actually. Oh, it's, I didn't know that. Yeah. Did not know that. But facts. Learning facts already. Exactly. <laughs> That's what I'm here for, beloved. You mean, you mean WWJD is not what would Jay-Z do? <laughs> My man, I had that one screwed up for a while. You see, you're a loserless. No. So um, let, let's shift gears, get to the, the main topic now. So you're an independent. Yes. Which I, I very rarely have a chance to meet independents who are not actually just Republicans who are afraid to say that. So hold on, Taman is our a good friend of the show. He's also he calls in all the time. He's an independent too. Is he, Alyssa, is Taman an independent? I think so. I mean, he's got a lot of libertarian bend to him that neoconservatives don't have. Yeah. I'll give him that. Yeah, right. And there was a one time he defended Steve Bannon by saying that he bought him pizza. <laughs> so <laughs> sorry, Taman. <laughs> <Ooh>. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> oh, how, how cheap are we? Go yeah, so, <laughs> Ooh. so, anyways, moving along. So you're an independent, but were you always one? No, no. I'm glad you asked because I get yeah. this question as you imagine a lot, especially from Fox News viewers who, uh, you know, want to zealously claim me to be a conservative because obviously that's the leaning of the network. Fox makes no secrets or apologies about that. Um, So I'm a registered independent. I actually worked extensively in college. I'm a proud, proud graduate of this small school. I don't know if you guys have heard of them. They just won the NCAA championship, the (laughs) North Carolina Tar Heels. Never heard of them. Never heard of them? (laughs) Michael Jordan, never heard of them? No, it's okay, fine. North Carolina, Um, that's a state. (laughs) I never heard of that. It is, it is, and we're doing better. We're actually doing better. Um, So... Yeah, I was a registered uh, Democrat when I was in school, worked on behalf of the Young Dems, all of this good stuff. And I registered as an independent starting in 2004. Um, So I was only, I think I was a member of the Democratic Party as a voting adult for about four years. Mm -hmm. 2004, I registered as an independent. Here's why. My interest, and I've always been clear about this, y'all, from collegiate days to now, is my community. Okay, the communities that I represent, all of them. So that's first and foremost, a black person. I am a woman. Currently, for a couple more years, I'm a millennial. I am somebody from one step from poverty, one generation rather from poverty. I'm a first generation college graduate. Um, So those things ring true to me. And, And first and foremost, in all spaces I occupy, I represent my community. I felt that my community was not being properly served by a political reality that had most all of us aligned with one party. Uh, So I I believe politics are very, um, I'm a pragmatist, first of all, by nature, probably the lawyer in me. So then I felt like, let's be smart as a community. And in order to have maximum political power in any community, whether it's LGBT, Latino, any community who has gained political strength in recent American uh, situations, will tell you there's power in political diversity. Okay, and so when there's not a legitimate question as to where your political loyalty will go, I frankly don't see what incentive we're giving anybody to put our agenda items top and and front of of their pursuits. So I removed myself from the Democratic Party because I didn't feel like we were getting enough in exchange for our our loyalty as a people. Now, then the question becomes, because I'm, you know, kind of southern, kind of old school. Some of my my values are more conservative and more traditional. Well, why not go be a car carrying member of the GOP? Mm-hmm. The answer to that is just can't cannot do that. 
Uh, can I do that for a few reasons? And I have many close black Republican friends. I'm not someone that thinks just uh, by and large people should be condemned for being black Republicans or anything like that. It's not for me at this point because you like black people. <laughs> no, I love black people, first and foremost. Um, the There's a fragment of the GOP and I will not say all of them, but certainly there's a real live breathing, powerful fragment of their party that is quite they're just bigots okay yeah. that's that's just what it is and until the the conservatives that do not subscribe to that ideology do not feel that it's best interest of their party stand up in a effective way and kill those voices i can't be aligned with with that type of party well thank you very much for that and thank you for keeping it so real with us mm -hmm. Alyssa. i saw you had your hand up so go ahead ask away yeah no i i just think uh, what's your perspective on a lot of these different factions right so obviously alexander hamilton wrote in the federalist papers about factions and how they were going to have to come together to make it work within political parties and so we're seeing a lot of this now on both sides we mm -hmm. have for example the bernie sanders faction of the democratic wing and we have the uh, you know more neoliberal faction and then within the conservative movement you have sort of liberty and Tea Party people and fiscal conservatives. Mm -hmm. And the idea used to be at least that these different factions could at least find some common ground to come together in order to have a, a complete party. Now I seem to be finding a lot of if the party doesn't agree with one or two things that I think should be the way to go. I am leaving the party. And I, I've encountered this a lot more on the left than I have on the right. And I know that's not the reason why you left the party, but mm. I was wondering if you could just give us your thoughts about that because it, to me, it's sort of like, it bothers me because I'm like, I get why you want to leave, but why don't you bring your ideas to the table and let's work together because I see factions as being destructive, whereas other people feel like, no, I don't want to be part of that anymore. So Yeah, it's really tough, Elizabeth, because ultimately what I see happening, I think we, you're speaking to this, is we demonize people that, that, that represent something that's even a little bit different than what we're talking about. I'll give you a perfect example. You know, there's a part of the Democratic Party. You're talking about the Sanders coalition, uh, things like this. This is fine. Uh, but here's the thing. There are some of us, and this is, and again, going back to Stan's original question, why I'm an independent. I want to see thriving, healthy, active, strong Republican Party members and Democratic Party members. That's how it has to work. Right. Because if that breaks down, then this whole two-party thing that we know it to be is all, it's obsolete. It's crap. So I'm looking at the Democratic Party right now, and, and obviously there's problems. And there's a whole bunch of problems in the a Republican Party to the point where yeah. they have a solid majority in every way that counts in government, where and they, they can't still get can't get done. it together. So that speaks for itself. But let's, I'm going to start with the Dems first. There, I was talking to a good uh, friend of mine. She's a sorority sister from Texas. And she says to me, you know, Ebony, I held my nose and I voted for Hillary in the last election, but I didn't feel good about it. And here's why, because she was brought so far to the left by Bernie. And, and as a Texas Democrat, she identified herself as likely more conservative than like a California Republican, because the values there are just, they're different than what we think of when we think of modern democratic politics. And, and quite frankly, here's another point. This notion of we should all have the same thing, which is what we kind of heard out of the, the Democratic platform this last election cycle. Everybody should have their fair share. Everybody should have free college tuition. Everybody should have free housing or, or free college and free this, that. Frankly, I and a lot of people that otherwise maybe would subscribe to the Democratic Party beliefs, we have a problem with that. I'm going to tell you why. 
Because why should we all have the same thing when we don't all work the same? Well, I want to cut you off right there and get, bring us into the conversation of health care now. Sure. So the Affordable Care Act, the goal of that was to expand health insurance to as many people as possible and in some sense give us kind of universal health insurance. Obviously, it did not do that, but it did help to cover 30 million more people than what we, we already had. Because before the ACA passed, we had about 45,000 people a year dying because they did not have access to health insurance and over 45 million people without insurance coverage, including a large amount of that being children. True. Now, Trump comes in and they want to get rid of the Affordable Care Act with this plan that would have 24 million new people uninsured by the year 2020 and premiums going up for everyone, including the elderly and people with pre-existing conditions. And from your political perspective, what is a good health insurance plan or is there no plan the government should be Okay, I'm going to be just uh, completely candid. I'm really glad you asked me this. Here's the issue with health care in America. First of all, Trump's plan is not even in the conversation because it's not even conservative. Okay, so that's first that's and foremost. True, true. It's not even a conservative plan, and that's why it, it didn't even get the votes. Right. Okay, so put that aside. Let's go back to ACA. If you, it, We have to make a decision as a country. This is not even a partisan issue. As a country, either we want one of two things, but we cannot have both. Either we want more people in America covered, or we want it to cost less. They cannot both be true at the same time. And nobody wants to say that and nobody wants to hear it, but that is the truth. Basic Econ 101 says either we have more Americans covered to the 20 plus million that you're talking about that currently enjoy coverage under ACA. Mm -hmm. Or we say we're okay with less people in our country having health care coverage because it's more affordable for those of us that can't afford it and not been to it. Now, I'll give you a personal anecdote on this really quickly. I currently sit in this studio today. I do not have health care coverage. Why? I made a decision that uh, as a contributor for Fox News, that's uh, kind of like a freelancer, so I'm responsible for my own health care coverage. Now, I could opt into ACA. I don't like ACA. It's too expensive for me. Why? Because I represent the, f the portion that by design is supposed to carry the heaviest financial burden for this to work for the rest of our country. And it's not that I don't love and want children and elderly people to have coverage, because I do. But I'm not spending close to $700 a month for it to happen. I'm personally not going to do it. So I pay the mandate every year, and I pop by my coverage out of pocket. I go to urgent care. I go to the doctor on my own. I spend about $3,000 maybe between pharmaceuticals and, and visits. And that is far less than I would spend with a monthly ACA premium. And that is the truth. So I'm going to stop you right there for a second. I know we had Jackie who had something to say. So I'm going to go to Jackie and then well, Selena. It's sort of shifting gears a little bit. And this is something I think we addressed before. Um, talking to people that don't necessarily agree with you and sort of demonizing people because sure. they have a difference of opinion. Um, so I am from a family that's very politically divided. And um, I'm going home for the holidays tomorrow for Sounds Passover. Sounds fun. Can't wait. Yeah. Happy, fun. Oh, happy Passover. Yeah, yes, you. happy Passover. Um, yeah. But I think that this is a really, I mean, it's, to say, like, you know, we live in such divided times, I think it's true, but I think that that's always been... We've always yeah, done right, that, yeah. Right, right. Um, and I, certainly from a family that's very politically divided and disagrees, like, I have always felt that to be true. Maybe not, maybe a little more so. It's a little more tense now than ever. Um, but you are somebody who, like you just said, you don't always agree with... Every, you're an independent. Mm -hmm. You um, contribute to a right... A conservative leaning network and you're literally in the homes of people right you're in their yeah, living literally. rooms yes. literally in their homes talking to them um, about things that they may or may not agree with you they may or may not value 
you as a woman or a person of color, right? And you have this opportunity to be in their home talking to them. Um, and how would you recommend people navigate through that, right? Navigate through situations. I mean, it's it's especially hard, I think, when it's your own family and you have, you're stuck with these people. You can't just walk away because it's, you know, it's like, see you next Christmas or next <laughs> holiday, whatever. How would you um, advise people to navigate through those situations? Okay, great question question brilliant question here's the truth that's why by the way i'm at fox news because absolutely and i have worked at other networks i've been at cbs been at hln all this great stuff and it's all been fabulous i specifically made a decision to go into the space of fnc fox news channel for that reason mm -hmm. jackie because this is a space where they ordinarily are not going to see young black people period let alone any like myself okay so if i can you know, this was the, the original mantra, if I could kind of uh, assist in, in correcting narratives around what young black people, black people, period, black women, millennials, whatever I represent, then that felt valuable to me. How do I recommend? Uh, have you been to Israel? No. Okay, so I went in November, uh, well, December, rather, of 2016, and it was an incredible experience. Okay, over there, they have literally like 20 plus political parties. Okay, you've been yeah, right. Husband, yeah. yeah. Okay. So it and and it was so amazing to go to the Knesset and see that and see that there is a space almost for anyone to find a space to feel comfortable and fit. Personally, I'd love to see that here in the US. I think that would be a step in the right direction. We probably will never get there. But my advice is this when you go into the conversation and Jackie and, and the first thing is our political distinction it's probably going to be an epic failure. But when you go into the conversation and the first reach is to find a similar value. So the healthcare conversation we just had, I'm more than sure Stanley looked like it was taking everything in his gentleman repertoire to just kind of <laughs> keep it, keep it cute, keep it cool. Um, <laughs> but I respect that. And that's because why Stanley and I have a pre-existing relationship that we at the bare minimum, we know that we care about our community. We might have very different prescriptions as to what that fix looks like, but we know we have a mutual best interest of our people that, that bonds us. So I think that's where that conversation has to start. You know, for people to be far uh, away from each other on the, the economy, on health care, on criminal justice reform, that's going to be the case. But what we have to agree upon is, let's say, the, the criminal justice issue. Too many Americans are in prison. We at least agree there. And that's a bipartisan, by the way, position. And it's position. costing us a lot of money. It's costing us a lot of money, and that's why it's bipartisan, likely. <laughs> uh, so if we might disagree about the why it's a problem, we can agree that it's a problem and start from there and work our way out. Thank you very much for that. So, guys, we are going on a quick break. When we get back, more talk with Ebony K. Williams. Ebony, you're killing it. I didn't even have to hold in any, like, Negro rage was because <laughs> I, I respected your opinion. Because you respect so, me because you trust that my interest is assigned with your interest. Yes, and we're going to get to that in a second when we come back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, and this is a campy 1980s song because I'm lit. Yeah, I wanna see you twerk, yeah, put in work, yeah Take off your shirt, yeah, go berserk, yeah Split on a dude, yeah, do a trick, yeah Yo, hey, yeah, full of yeah Baddest in the party, yeah, pop them, yeah Got a lot of body, yeah, la di da -di, yeah With no lanes, yeah, playing games, yeah Switching lanes, yeah, make it rain, yeah. Hey. Selena's confused because there was a lot of things in that song that she didn't that, understand. Look, I understood that song. That song was about capitalism. <laughs> and I like it. That's right. Isn't everything about capitalism? It should be. I can't. Selena, you ever threw it in a circle without moving your upper body? I don't think I have. You say threw it in a circle? You never That's threw what it they were talking about. 
That's what they was throw talking it about. In a circle. I, I mean, I know what it means. I'm I got throw it in a circle. Well, I tried to throw it in a circle one time, and I twisted my ankle. See, that's so what happens. I don't. I don't really throw nothing. Don't get level of ratchet. Stanley, your level of ratchet is here. I'm like right here, okay? Stanley, I told you, don't twist your ankle unless we have somebody to sue. I'm Hennessy and, <laughs> <Apple. laughs> right. and Apple Juice Ratchet. Selena is Kids Bop Ratchet. It's Thank not you. the same thing. <laughs> so, guys, we are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. And we have a very special guest in here, Ebony K. Williams of Fox News. And hopefully a regular Let Your Voice Be Heard, too, because I like having you in here. And I'm also in here with Selena Hill, Alyssa Fuchs, and Jackie, mother loving Cohen. In case you guys forgot, Jackie is my mom. Mortal enemy, yes. and she's going yeah. to Passover with my parents yeah. and not inviting me. <laughs> Selena, you I know. Come? I do actually. You know what? Hold that thought. <laughs> Selena wanted to say something. I've been ignoring her on purpose because you know she's Selena. But you can go ahead and talk now. Right. So you know where we left off. We were talking about healthcare. Jackie had a question about how to deal with a div- politically divided family. And you know before we even got to the Ebony, you said something that I wanted to hear you expand on. Uh, we were talking about. Um, Things that people should have, right? So I see healthcare as a right, um, and you gave your perspective, which is very respectable. You know, mm-hmm. you being at the other end of that spectrum, mm-hmm. you would be having to, you know, sort of uh, help other people or sure. pay for other people. But you know, the way I see it is a little bit differently. I think that you know, all first world countries give their citizens healthcare, mm-hmm. and it's something that costs taxpayers a lot because when somebody doesn't have healthcare and they go to the hospital, we pay for that as taxpayers. So mm-hmm. when you say uh, you said something you said uh, something along the lines of we We don't all work the same right Mm -hmm. and then 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 we had to switch gears a little bit Mm -hmm. so so what do you mean by that because are you saying that uh things like healthcare, things like food education are uh, should not be given to every single person born in this country I don't think so. That's my opinion. Uh, So, no, I personally don't think that health care is a universal right in that same way. Education, you know, it's interesting because, you know, I'm sure Alyssa gets this all the time. A lot of people think that there's a constitutional right to education. That's actually not true. No, not true. Okay, Uh, And that's a misnomer. Um, Now, we can revisit the Constitution if we want to change that. But currently, as it stands, that's not true. So when we have this notion of free college, I didn't have any undergraduate debt. Uh, That's because my mother made it very clear that she had no coins for a college education. So I needed to perform uh, at a level of pure excellence in the classroom uh, from K through 12 so that I would have multiple full scholarship academic offers. So I hear your when Jackie, we were talking earlier about the problems with proposed New York legislation around the tuition issue and tuition is not the only expense. And you're absolutely right. And my my anecdote to that is then then do a little bit better in school because there's a lot of free money out there, honestly. And that's the truth. And I'm not saying that every student who can't afford college, it's their own fault by any stretch. But I am saying that these are realities, y'all. Okay. And we don't we're never going to be in a space where everything we want is paid for by the masses. Okay, that's not realistic and it's not going to happen. So we have to figure out ways as a community. Again, that's my I always bring it back. That's my concern. I want our kids and our community to have the things they need to thrive and do well in this society. And so I really would recommend instead of spending all of our efforts, you know, kind of talking about other legislative ways we can get the government to pay for everything. Maybe we could focus our efforts on ways that we could find and maximize current opportunities to get things paid for well and and i'm definitely interested in that because you know from my perspective giving every single person access to education and giving every child access to health care would only help them prosper especially people that look like you and i and black and brown communities so if we're saying that that's not a right and you should not be given that can we at least acknowledge the, the the systematic ills in place that keep black and brown children down especially those in poverty because you know even like within our people here in the studio 
video. Like there was different access, there was different yeah. levels of access here, and we still feel that impact today. Jackie and Alyssa being white, Stanley and I being black. So no, no, I gotta say this though. So this is true, and I that's why I focus on not equal. Uh, what's the dim thing now? Equal uh, distribution of wealth or whatever. No, no, equal <laughs> opportunity. Okay, that's what it has to be. How so do I'm we very do that? How education. Do do that? So my focus is not on free college tuition. My focus is on reforming early childhood education, making sure that every student, black, brown, white, black, or green, has ample opportunity to go to the best preparation because it starts there y'all you can't wait till ninth grade and and think that somebody's going to now be eligible to qualify for scholarships that stuff starts in the second grade in the fourth grade in the eighth grade so that's where my efforts personally are and so i, I when you talk about uh giving uh, giving opportunities selena i hear you but i also feel like opportunities need to be earned at some point I at wanna, some point i'm going to jump in on that for a couple of reasons so mm -hmm. I agree with you. Opportunity should be earned. We shouldn't all be getting free things. However, I think in order for that to happen, we have to acknowledge that there's not a balanced playing field right now. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. New York State in particular, you're Absolutely. talking about education. I also agree with you that it has yeah. to start very early. Mm -hmm. In New York State, the liberal bastion of the United States of America, we're fighting just to get funding for pre-K. That's crazy. Universal pre-K. Which, yeah. and we could talk about whether education is a right or things like that, but we do know that a more educated society is a more productive and, and effective society. And a safer society. society, too. Exactly. I want to throw it to Alyssa. She's been, like, yeah. fighting over here. Yeah, no, 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 because we, we're, like, switching gears to education, and, like, there was a point that still needed to be made about, about health care, but it could go to education also, which is this <laughs> idea that, and, and any issue, that there are things that liberals need to acknowledge uh, as being true, and there's things that conservatives need to acknowledge as being true, and that until we get back to that baseline of what the facts are, we're never going to be able to agree on the solutions. Like, for example, you pointed out that we can't cover any everybody and still decrease costs. Right. You know, uh, well, I mean, we could. That's arguable. So only be, depending on what kind of healthcare system you want to use. Okay. But at least in the, the system we, we have, have yes, you're right. absolutely right. Yeah. Then you know. So then, but then there has to be this understanding on one side that conservatives need to recognize that when people don't have health coverage, then they go to the emergency room, as Selena and points out, anyway. that we're going to pay for it. Yeah. But there also has to be a, an acknowledgement by liberals that one, when everybody has health care, it's going to increase costs because that means more sick people are in the system. And when there's more sick people in the system, it means health care costs go up for everybody. And number two, has to have to acknowledge that there are problems with Obamacare and that there are things about it that needs to be fixed. And repealing it completely may not be the answer. And the American Health Care Act that failed may not be the answer. It is not but, the answer. But that leaving it the mm -hmm. way it is isn't the answer either. And so it goes back to this idea that uh, that you guys were bringing up earlier. You have to have conversations with people across the aisle. You can't just pretend that just because somebody disagrees with you or somebody has an R behind their name or a D behind their name or an I behind their name that you're not going to be able to listen to them. Find common ground. Find a starting point, as Ebony pointed out. Figure out where you agree, and then you can talk about the things that you don't necessarily agree on, because otherwise we're not getting anywhere in this country. Just very quickly, the, uh, um, the iteration of Obamacare that we have came from the Heritage Foundation. It's a conservative plan with some liberal droppings into it. That's one. And two, the process to get the Affordable Care Act through there was a huge efforts made by the Obama campaign to incorporate Republican ideas. There were over 200 Republican amendments to the original bill to have that conversation. If that was done in like in sincere fashion, we have a better law right now. Selena? Right. So, and I know we're going to wrap things up with Ebony in a few more minutes, but I just wanted to... Well, not really. I'm going to stay for another segment because oh. I need to get back to some of this stuff y'all talked about in this news wrap-up, including Kaepernick. Oh, 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 we don't oh. have another segment. <laughs> but, well, we yeah. don't have another segment? Well, we do, but it's, it's kind of different. So we have to wrap up the segment oh, in general. Okay. But I just wanted to say, you know, I'm going to push back or, or maybe just get some clarity because opportunities should not be earned. 
And the reason why is because white cis men have not earned any of the opportunities that they give. It's called male privilege and it's called white privilege. So to sit up here and say that our children need to earn these opportunities. No, no, no not our children, Selena. All children. I'm saying all children. But what about our children? What? If, that's what I'm talking about. Our children need to be told. i give you an example. I went and spoke to the Boys and Girls Club of Harlem yesterday. To, they're, they're doing this NFL experience where these kids are actually going to go to the draft and see it firsthand what it looks like and get an opportunity to understand all the various job opportunities that will be, uh, be available to them. So I told them, I said, raise your hand if y'all have good grades and every single student raise it because these are the best of the best kids, right? Uh, all black kids. I said, and that's great. I said, now let me let you know something that you might not have heard before this moment. Good grades are not enough. Good grades are not enough. That's important. You can't even get into the classroom and the interview rather without them, but it's not enough. And you have to. So I guess what I'm saying, Selena, is not something that's that's how it should be, but it's how it is. We know that those that our counterparts get other opportunities that we will never get, that, that we are starting behind the curve. And my work, at least in my lifetime, is to make sure that our kids are ready for that. I, I, I applaud and, and salute and will do whatever I can to support y'all that are trying to change the system. I'm not really trying to change the system. I'm going to just be honest with you. I'm too old i am trying to support our kids and navigating a rigged and broken system so we have different uh goals i suppose to the same means fair i think that's family that was just so good real quick before we close out what are you your thoughts on Kavanaugh? You're, you're a little <laughs> yeah, I'm going to tell you what you have to say. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're going to get you in there. He's up on that stand. This brother is not not getting a job for all, for the sole fact that he needs 16 touchdowns, four interceptions. No, no, no. He's whack, though. He's really whack. Six, uh, on the field. Johnny no, Manziel? Uh, no, no. Johnny Manziel, that's a perfect example of white privilege. No, no. See, see, and again, to the Fitzgerald quote, you can, I can maintain both of these wrongdoings at the same damn time. Johnny Manziel is a joke. He's a literal liability to a team, both on and off the field so we know what that is mm-hmm. but that does not take away from the argument that Colin Kaepernick kneeling aside and I support the brother in his protest absolutely uh, I wish that he would have registered to vote but that's another oh, conversation don't get, don't get that's another right. conversation yeah. <laughs> um, but he's not an elite quarterback and so when and this is another messed up truth about when you are black in this country if you give a margin for error if you are less than excellent this will always be what can happen to you and that's what i tell kids you make sure that you are so excellent that even if they want to deny you they can't without looking like pure fools and unfortunately kaepernick's on the field performance has left margin for this conversation to even be happening stanley you're a resident sports expert yeah, I, I can't really be mad at her. He's a very serviceable backup right now. And people yeah, like Mark backup. Sanchez getting yeah. jobs for him is crazy. But the fact that he's not perfect, you can make a, you can, the NFL can be like, well, you know, there's other people who do the same thing. There's so a lot like, of like B minus quarterbacks. You know yeah. what I'm saying? I like, would say he's a solid B. Dude. No, he's not a solid B. If In he, my opinion, he's not. If he not. was your backup, would you be uncomfortable with that? Like, I wouldn't like, well, my, my quarterback is Cam. I'm going to tell you real, real we're going to go deep. Oh, my quarterback is Cam. So would I be comfortable with Colin as my backup? No, I'm going to tell you why. Because most of the plays that we run require a level of, they're kind of, they're, they, people like to equate those two. Like they're both mobile quarterbacks. The difference is Cam is a lot bigger, a lot stronger, a lot faster, can take a lot more hits. So, no, I don't trust the way our offense works with the Colin Kaepernick. And he's a, good, a better pocket passer than Colin, too. Yeah. That was Let's Voice Be Heard Sports Corner. Yes, sir. <laughs> Williams. Yes, sir. Pretty you much. So, guys, we got to wrap this segment up. I usually give a closing statement. I'm not going to do that. Ebony, the floor is yours. Whatever message you'd like to get across, or if you just want to shout out all, your, all the things you're doing, it's all you. No, first of all, I want to thank y'all because this is very important, what y'all do in this room, uh, because our, our community 
does have to be heard. That's why I went to, to practice law in the first place, to be a voice for the voices. And that's exactly what the four of y'all do every week. And I applaud you. The second thing I do want to plug, first of all, you can find me on Twitter at Ebony, E-B-O-N-I-K Williams. Uh, tweet me. I try to respond to most things. My project, uh, American Trial, it's important. Uh, not because we are selling a narrative. I get a lot of pushback on this. I, I don't do narratives. I do facts. I deal in facts. And unfortunately, with the Eric Garner situation, this brother losing his life unnecessarily, I think almost everybody can agree on at least that point. We don't have enough facts. So the point of our documentary, American Trial, is to go back. I'm seeking interviews with Bratton. I'm seeking interviews with Giuliani. We're seeking interviews with the family. We have the blessing of Eric Garner's widow. Uh, she's working with us on this film. Uh, witnesses, eyewitnesses that saw this brother on a gurney being taken away, uh, saw the chokehold itself. We need more facts so that everyone, law enforcement, black community, people in Staten Island in general, can have a better understanding and hopefully bridge the relationship around these issues that, that still plague uh, everyday life for, for our community and, and our citizens. So give to that. Oh, that was the plug. Please, we're still raising money. It's Seed and Spark, American Trial. Give to it if you can. If you can't give any money, like us on Facebook because we're bringing this film to life and, and we really would love your support. Evelyn, thanks for coming on today. Thank you, Thank Stan. You. Thank you, Selena. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jackie. Thank Alyssa. you. Oh, Thank you. man. Not again. Yeah, I learned a game from William Wesley, you can never check me Back to back for the n- that didn't get the message Back to back like I'm on the cover of Lethal Weapon Back to back like I'm Jordan 96. And we are back, so let me tell you a little story Imagine that you have a career um, and that you there's this job and it's the best job that you can have in your career and that when you start your career at the very, very bottom, uh, you aspire to have this job because it is the highest that you can go in this career. And so your whole entire life, you work really, really hard. You put in the, the effort. You go to school. You take additional classes. You work your way up. First, you get promoted to a position and then from there you get promoted again and you get promoted again and ultimately you then get promoted to this very high position that you have aspired to your whole entire life and yet you don't actually get the position and the reason you don't get the position is because there's some political fight between other people at your job where you work and because of this political fight that has absolutely nothing to do with you you do not get this position well guess what people that's exactly what happened to Merrick Garland Merrick Garland is a judge and he worked his whole entire life to be a Supreme Court justice and there's no doubt that Merrick Garland wanted to be a Supreme Court justice and he got all these promotions and when the time Time came, he got his opportunity to be a Supreme Court justice, and the president nominated to be a Supreme Court justice. Yet, because of a political fight, the Senate decided that they were not going to do their job, and they were not even going to meet with him. And so he did not become a Supreme Court justice. Now, he might not have become a Supreme Court justice anyway, even if the Senate would have decided to meet with him. They still could have voted against his nomination. But the fact of the matter was they never even gave him the opportunity. In doing so, they actually violated the Constitution, which says the president shall make an appointment and the Senate shall, meaning they have to, advise and consent. Now, the Constitution does not say they actually have to vote in favor of that nomination, but the Constitution nonetheless says that they are to hold hearings, they are to meet with that nominee, and they are eventually to have at least an up-down vote as to whether or not to confirm this person to the Supreme Court. Well, Republicans, under the leadership of Mitch McConnell, said, we're not going to do that. 
We are not going to meet with him. We are not going to hold these hearings and we are not going to schedule an up down vote because we want to wait until after the presidential election to determine who is going to be president. And that person should be able to pick the Supreme Court justice, even though that person was not the president at the time when Justice Scalia died last year and a Supreme Court vacancy became opened. And the reason why this matters is because it shows that we have a breakdown in our institutions, specifically within our Congress. And it also led to a situation for the past year where we also had a breakdown in our judicial institution in that we only had eight Supreme Court justices for the past year. That essentially hand-strung the Supreme Court into certain decisions because there were certain decisions that they came to for four decisions. And so they never resolved an important issue. And instead, that issue went back down to the lower court. And that lower court decision stood, which then created a situation where in some places the law is now different because the law is different in different circuits. I have discussed this during many different quickies. I am not going to get into the details of it now, but we all live in different judicial circuits. And when one circuit decides the law in one respect and a different circuit decides the law in a different respect, then you lead to a situation where in order to know what the law is, you need to have the Supreme Court resolve it. And when the Supreme Court comes to a tie because they are missing their the ninth justice, then this issue is not resolved, and then the law becomes different in different places. Now, fast forward, Hillary Clinton loses the election, Donald Trump becomes president, and Donald Trump decides he's not going to re-nominate Judge Garland, who, by the way, was a very moderate justice, who is not somebody who is very liberal, and who in any other year probably would have confer- been confirmed, because like I said, he did everything in his life to get himself ready to be a Supreme Court justice that he always wanted to be. And so Donald Trump decided not to nominate him and instead nominated Judge Gorsuch. Now, Judge Gorsuch, we could debate this till the end of time, Stanley. um, But at the end of the day, you know, under any other Republican president, he would have been acceptable. The only reason in in terms of his his filling the role of Justice Scalia, a conservative for a conservative. Um, But the reason why he is unacceptable to many liberals and unacceptable to me is because of the fact I feel that this Supreme Court seat was stolen. Now, Fast forward to what happened this week, and that is the nuclear option. Now, because Democrats were so agitated about the fact that Merrick Garland did not become the Supreme Court justice, not even that he didn't become the Supreme Court justice, that he didn't even get the opportunity for a hearing, they decided they were going to filibuster the nomination of Judge Gorsuch. And when I say filibuster, it means that they were going to force Republicans to need 60 votes in order to confirm him. Well, Republicans weren't going to have that. And part of the reason they weren't going to have that is because Democrats actually changed the rules for other federal judges and got rid of the filibuster. And so Republicans said, well, if we can't filibuster any federal judges, then we shouldn't be able to filibuster the Supreme Court nomination either. And so they went nuclear. And so by invoking the nuclear option, they have now gotten rid of the filibuster, which means you no longer need 60 votes in order to confirm a Supreme Court justice or any federal court judge for that matter. And so now they then had an up-down vote and you only needed a majority, which is 51 in the Senate because it's 100 senators. Um, and so now Judge Gorsuch has been confirmed to the Supreme Court because the Senate has decided to go nuclear. Now, as I already said, unfortunately, I don't have a lot of time. I personally feel that it was a stolen seat. I also feel that the Senate institution is broken. Um, I don't agree with the Democrats in having changed the filibuster. And I don't agree now with the Republicans having changed the filibuster. I do feel that as much as I think the Supreme Court needs to function with nine justices, that unfortunately we have a situation where the Supreme Court is now sort of entered an era of 
where a, a place where it's hard to trust them because we don't feel right about what happened. And like I say, this is on both sides of the aisle, although, uh, you know, I, there's a lot of blame to go around. But at the end of the day, there's nothing we can really do about this now. Um, he is going to go to the Supreme Court. That said, you need to stay on your senators. I know I've been ending with this every week. Keep fighting. There are other issues. Don't get deter- Don't get discouraged because we lost this one. There are more issues to fight for. Be on those phones every single day. Be tweeting. Be calling. Anything you got to do, let your senators know that you're listening. Absolutely right. We lost this battle, but the war is not over. But you know what is over? The show. We want to thank everyone for listening, for tuning in. Our first guest who talked about Syria with us, Stephen Pampanella. We want to thank Ebony K. Williams for coming live in studio, talking politics with us. And we want to thank you guys for supporting us, uh, tweeting us, leaving comments on Facebook Live. We always appreciate the engagement, and we just want to say thank you. And if you love us that much, subscribe to us via iTunes at Let Your Voice Be Heard Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter, BeHeard underscore radio. And, of course, hit us up on the website, LYBBH.com. Happy Palm Sunday. Happy Passover. And we'll see you in two weeks. You didn't thank me. And then you looked me straight in the eye when you said Happy Palm Sunday. You don't get a thank you. Yeah, you don't get a thank you for that. Goodbye, guys.